the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we are looking at compassion. The title of this message is Compassion, Love in Action. Not only this is, is this a core value of our church, but is a timely value in the light of all the uh, catastrophic flooding from Hurricane Harvey. We also have boxes of hope you can pick up at our church or at Heritage Bank of St. Tammany, which has partnered with us. You can bring those back filled up with supplies on Sunday, and we will get those to those who need them. So let's head to the talk. Compassion, love, and action. North Shore Vineyard. series called Life Connected for the last few weeks, and Life Connected is a series I've done on a few different occasions over the uh, last seven and a half years we've been doing North Shore Vineyard, and it is uh, typically the series that we use as kind of our new member series. It talks, it's a series on our philosophy of ministry, our core values, what we're trying to do in this church. And so a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the value of hospitality, We often think of hospitality in the church as just having a cup of coffee. And while hospitality includes a good cup of coffee, amen, um, hospitality is much more than that. I I, I talked about hospitality is the very posture of love. And I shared one of my favorite quotes that I I share several times a year because I love the way it, it simplifies this idea. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, says, Hospitality is not to change another person, but to offer a space in which change can take place. I, you know, in my early years of being a Christian, I was around a certain type of evangelicalism that was very hospitable on the surface. But it was the kind of hospitality that had an agenda. I will be nice to you as long as I feel you're agreeing with what I'm saying or you're converting to my way of thinking. But the moment that doesn't happen, then you're out of here. Or the moment you agree with me, then I've got nothing to do with you. you know, you're, you're in the club and I don't need to worry about you anymore. It was not a hospitality based in relationship. It was based in agenda. It was kind of the hospitality of a salesman, so to speak which is really not hospitality at all. I love when we look at the pictures of Jesus in the New Testament. I can't think of anybody that wouldn't be welcome at Jesus' table, right? I mean, Jesus got in trouble for this. He was called a drunk and a glutton because he was always eating and drinking with the wrong crowd. He was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners of all different varieties, and even even self-righteous religious people. They were allowed at his table, although many of them didn't want to eat at his table. That is hospitality. Jesus didn't put some litmus test on people before he allowed them to sit down like, "Uh, just a second, before you can eat a meal with me, do you believe I'm the Messiah? Have you invited me into your heart? (laughs) Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that with his own disciples. He didn't say, Peter, uh, before you follow me, uh, I need to make sure your beliefs are good. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus just said, follow me. You're going to learn what to believe as you follow Jesus. Think about the relationships in your life, your closest friends or family members. I think 
you know, when I think of, of my, own, my own wife, Dina, um, Dina knows me better than any other person on planet Earth. <laughs> and she's still with me <laughs> after 20 years. She, she knows me. She accepts me. I think this is one of the wonderful things about marriage that you don't realize in the early days um, is that over a long term, you end up having this space where you can truly be yourself. Dina's seen the best of me. She's seen the worst of me. But the, the truth is this space that we've created in our relationship, it is a hospitable space where we can truly be ourselves and we can truly grow. And I think that's, that's one of the keys to any relationships. And we want to be that kind of people as a church that whether you're coming in here and you've been a Christian for 50 years, whether you've been a Christian for five days, or whether you've been a Christian for a few years and, and you're wrestling through doubts about Scripture and God and different things, or whether you're just more of an agnostic or atheist, that you could be a part of this church and, and have your doubts and stuff and, and work those out within community. We want to be that kind of place. Not that you have some kind of litmus test of belief that you have to agree with before you can participate, but you can belong as you wrestle through these ideas. That's hospitality. You know, I recently started a little side project, uh, a little podcast called Extra Crispy. Like the name? <laughs> it's not about food yet, but um, it's not a specifically Christian podcast. In, in, a, in a sense, I think for me as a pastor, it, it is a podcast where I can have conversations with a lot of people who are outside of church, and we can talk about different things. But I got to tell you, as, as a pastor, it's been a wonderful discipline for me because every week I'm sitting down and interviewing somebody, and I'm interviewing all kinds of different people. I've interviewed a, a, a physician who grew up in Sierra Leone, Africa, who opened a, an, an art gallery slash wellness spa in Baton Rouge. I interviewed a, an Episcopal priest who wrote a book called The Beer Drinker's Guide to God. I, I interviewed <laughs> a guy who's a, an artist and a filmmaker who just did his first feature film. I've interviewed a couple of musicians and songwriters. And it's been a wonderful thing for me because in these interviews, I'm... I'm learning to be a good interview. You got you to gotta ask good questions and you got to listen. It's not about trying to convert the other person or change them. Or, or you, it's, it's, you're sitting in a posture of listening. And, and, and really, I'm learning that this, this is a great discipline for me for hospitality. And this is one reason why we're doing this thing called the table in a week and a half. You may be thinking, like, why would I want to come to a place and eat a meal and talk about hell? <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> well, the idea of what we're trying to do here is actually take a topic which I, you know, in my 20 plus years of ministry, if I ever get somebody to feel comfortable where they can really open up about their biggest questions about faith, I would say hell is in one of the top three questions that people have. How do we reconcile this idea that somebody who doesn't pray the prayer to, to follow Jesus, uh, and dies that they're going to spend eternity being barbecued. You know, how, how, do we, how do we reconcile that with a God who is loving, with this Jesus who on the cross says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, or this Jesus who said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. How do we reconcile those two ideas? So what we're going to do in this thing on Tuesday night 
in a week and a half is we're just going to look at three different ways that Christians have processed this. And we're not, I'm not trying to give you the definitive answer on what hell is, but I, I realize that in this culture, um, that's one of those things that's such, so touchy that, that most people, I, I think about uh, 65% of Americans, um, don't even think about that idea at all. They just reject it, but they don't reject it because they've looked into it. They're just like, it's such an unappetizing idea, they just cast it off. What we're going to do here is actually look into something, and we're going to have a civil conversation about that. I know you're skeptical. You can actually have civil conversations. And I think that one of the things we ought to be about as a church is we should be a place where you can have a conversation about controversial things and we can learn from one another in the process. So I encourage you. Oh, by the way, we're going to pass. I forgot to pass that around. Noah, we've got three clipboards there for anybody who wants to sign up for that class, just so we know how much food to buy. We're, we're going to cover your food. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah, let you just pass it around right now. Nobody's paying attention to what I'm saying anyway. <laughs> so that's hospitality. And, and I'm, I know I'm hammering on this again because I, I, hospitality is such a big deal to, to why we're trying to do North Shore Vineyard. Because I find many churches are not really hospitable in the sense of you can come as you are. That's used oftentimes as a slogan. Come as you are and you'll be loved as long as you change really quickly and act like the rest of us. Uh, We're trying to actually truly be hospitable. So we see hospitality demonstrated time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. But the other thing that we see demonstrated is one of the great hallmarks of Jesus' ministry is compassion. And so today... I want to talk about compassion. If hospitality is the posture of love, then compassion is love in action. You know, the word compassion actually means, it it comes from two root words, uh, calm meaning with and passion meaning suffer. Compassion means to suffer with. And I can guarantee you, if you've ever gone through something difficult in your life and you have had somebody suffer with you, there's nothing that demonstrates love like that. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, when somebody is willing to suffer with you, to enter into what you're going through, that is huge. And this is what the, the gospel is. Jesus loved us enough that he stepped into our world and he faced what we face. He's, he's God with us. When we look throughout the New Testament, we see example after example. I was actually doing a study on on compassion in the New Testament. I was like, man, it was just so overwhelming, the amounts of time that we see Jesus extending compassion. When the woman in John chapter 7 is is thrown down half naked at his feet with an angry mob ready to stone her, Jesus has compassion on her. He sends away her accusers. When Jesus has gone into the desert to be alone and spend some time with, with his heavenly father and, and, and in prayer and solitude and the masses start following him out into the middle of nowhere, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion because they look like sheep without a shepherd and he, he, he healed their sick. It said that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw these thousands of people that were hungry and had nothing to eat, nowhere to buy food. So he did this miracle of feeding the five thousands. 
We see that Jesus has compassion on the Samaritan woman at the well who was ostracized by her community, and he just ministers to her. We see it time and time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. But this is in great uh, contrast to what we see of the Pharisees. See, religion often uses the Scripture as a cold sword to, to judge people and beat people down. What we see in the Pharisees is rather than compassion, they were so worried about their own beliefs and their own club that, that rather than helping people that were hurting, they hurt people even further. Back in 2000, I believe, about a year after our daughter Tevi was born, Dina had a miscarriage. And it was her first miscarriage, and it was, it was awful. And if, if, I'm sure there's many women in here who've had a miscarriage. It was horrible. But a year later, she had another miscarriage. And you know how we are, right? One bad thing happens, that's awful. Two bad things happen, is God mad at me? What am I doing wrong? You know, we can't help it. That's just the way we think. We, we start uh, connecting the dots. And Dina was, was just really, you know, did I do this? Is, is, is God mad at me? Is there something that I, some supplement that I forgot to, to take or something that I did that is causing my body to reject this baby? <laughs> And so about a month after that miscarriage, Dina went to a retreat center out in West Louisiana, and she was going to just spend some time praying and getting with God and getting healed up. And on that first evening, she was one of the only people there. The, the lady who ran the ministry that, that, at that retreat center sat down with Dina, and Dina was thinking, oh, great, I can get some, some prayer and some, have somebody sit with me in this. And this lady asked her, why are you here? She goes, well, I've, I've had two miscarriages in the last year. And it's at this point that you would expect uh, any normal person to go, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. Can I pray with you? That's horrible. But instead of that, this woman said, well, your body was created to bring a baby to term. And if your body's not doing that, there's obviously some sin in your life. Dina calls me that night, crying, going, is this true? Did I do this? Is God mad at me? Is this? And I was just, I had never experienced anger of that level at another Christian at that point in my journey. It's happened a few times since then. But uh, <laughs> I was livid. I could not believe it. My wife is in such a vulnerable, fragile state, uh, in in a state where she needs to be embraced, to hug, uh, prayed for, cared for. And instead of that, she gets the cold sword of judgmental religion, beating her down at a retreat center. I couldn't believe it. It was a good thing that this woman was several hours away because I think if she had been, you know, not far down the road, I'm not sure what I would have done. I was very upset. You know, I, I've got a friend of mine who is a, a pastor in the Houston area. We actually sent him a check for $1,000 to help him through this time because he was already in a bad spot financially before. And, and he's pastoring two churches, by the way. <laughs> he's already in a, a rough spot financially because both churches, they're, they're, you know, most churches that I know of right now are, are, are losing money or barely breaking even. And he's been in that spot for a couple of months. He, he hasn't been able to take a full salary and so 
we, we just sent a check to just help him from this church, and, and I, I would like to do that again um, just to help him through these. It, it's, it's a hard thing to go through, a disaster, especially when you've got no income. So we want to help him so he can help other people. But he sent an email to me. He forwarded an email to me that he got from another pastor. And this, this, this was an email about a financial seminar for pastors. And it started off like this. Um, last weekend, a, a, a massive hurricane devastated uh, the Houston area, and many churches uh, don't have any income coming in now for the foreseeable future because they're devastated. And that's what happens. That happened at the Kenner Vineyard. He says, if you find yourself in this situation, if, if, if uh, you, you experience a similar storm like this, would you have enough financial reserves to get you through? And that's how he opened up his letter about a financial seminar. And I'm thinking, you're sending this to a guy. The, the floodwaters haven't even receded, and you're sending this thing about a financial seminar to a guy who hardly has any money coming in before this storm, and the waters haven't even receded. I'm thinking, how insensitive. <laughs> but that's what religion does. Instead of being the warm embrace of Christ to those who are hurting, religion is a cold sword of religion that beats people down and judges them at their most vulnerable time. After this stuff happened with Dina, I was, I was thrown into a little bit of a rough place. <laughs> and I just remember praying to God. I'm like, God, I'm so angry with this. But it was interesting because God began to walk me down a little uh, memory lane. The Spirit began to remind me of my life up to that point. And I realized in the, in the previous years that I had done the very same thing that this woman had done <laughs> to my wife. I remember a good friend of mine, he, he opened up one time when I was in college. He said, yeah, me and my wife, we can't pay our electric bill this month. You know what my answer was? You're not tithing enough. You know, if you were tithing more, God would be taking care of your electric bill. Instead of, instead of thinking, like, maybe I could help him, it was, it was just like, it's, it's your problem. You're to blame. There was another lady who, had, who was sharing with Dina and I one time uh, about having an abortion when she was younger. It was a difficult thing. You could tell. It was a hard experience that she went through. And I could tell she, she regretted it at some level. But instead of being compassionate to her, I just beat her down. I just condemned her. I judged her. Not inwardly, outwardly. I told her how I felt. The Holy Spirit began to remind me of these kinds of situations, these comments that I had made to people God had sent my way when they were in a vulnerable state. And, and I just, I began to be very convicted. And I realized that God loved me even when I was a little judgmental jerk. He loved me. He didn't love me when I deserved it or when I was being nice to people. He loved me at my worst, and I realized God loved this lady. And, and it began to change my heart a little bit. And the verse that really got to me was a verse that I'd read plenty of times before this event. But Hebrews four fourteen through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven... 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I had read that passage on so many occasions, but all of a sudden it made sense to me. This Jesus that I worship, this Jesus that is my high priest, he's not uh, someone who is disconnected from what I'm going for because Jesus has actually stepped into our world and he's faced everything that you and I will face. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to have people accuse you of something that is totally off. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer loss. And he knows all this not as God out there from a distance, but God with us. Jesus knows what it's like to face these things as a human being. And when I began to realize this, it changed my prayer life. It changed my understanding of God. I'm not approaching somebody who is distant from me, but somebody who by the Spirit is with me and knows what I am going through. And that changed things within me. Now think about this. You know, last week Josh McIntyre talked about Dave Ramsey, you know, and, and we, we will probably actually get a financial peace class going on here, uh, here pretty soon because it seems like there's pretty good demand for it. But you know one thing I like about Dave Ramsey? If you listen to him, he's a guy who went through some financial catastrophes in his life. So when, when he's speaking on financial stuff, it's not that he's just read some books or he's got a degree in finance. He's been through the fire and he's come out the other side. In my marriage, when we've had problems in our marriage, we have had problems, right? Uh, when we've had problems, I'm not looking for somebody who's read a book. I'm not looking for somebody who even has letters behind that. I'm looking for somebody that's been through it and is still together, <laughs> That same thing can be said of Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we're not coming to, to, to a God that, that is looking down at us from, from a distance, but somebody who's faced everything we will face except without sin. And the wonderful thing about having this experience with Jesus in this very dark time is that it began to work compassion within me. And I found from that point on, it was a lot harder, not impossible, <laughs> to judge other people. It was a lot harder to just give people a pat spiritual answer or a Bible verse when they were going through something. I learned to shut up a little bit more and to sit with people. I learned to, to not try to figure out how to fix their situations, but to simply love them right where they're at. Not that I've attained it. But that was a turning point. Exercising compassion helps keep us from an individualized and personalized faith. Compassion turns our prayers into action. Prayer is important. But compassion is, is it turns our prayers into action. Instead of just praying uh, for someone, we're actually putting feet to our prayers. I had this experience last year when the floods were going on um, in, in Denham Springs and Baton Rouge. 
I remember one morning praying the prayer that we prayed during worship today, the Lord's Prayer. And I got to that spot. Here we are, uh, you know, trying to, to do relief work over there in Robert and Denham Springs. And I was praying the Lord's Prayer one morning. And I get to that part, give us this day our daily bread. And I realize, like, God, I've got all the daily bread I can eat and then some. If anything, I could probably cut out a little of the daily bread that I eat. And so I changed that prayer that day. I said, God, instead of praying for you to give me my daily bread, Lord, help me to be bread for someone else today that needs it. Help me to be the answer to prayer and I think that's what compassion does. When we're truly moving in compassion, when we, when we put a value on compassion in our faith journey, all of a sudden we're, we're not praying just for our own needs anymore. Now we are praying to be the vessels of God's spirit, the vessels of God's goodness, the vessels of God's generosity to other people. And we get to participate in that. See, we have a problem in this country so much of the faith in, in the United States of America is just so hyper-individualized. It's just about God blessing me and doing something for me and look at what God's done for me. But, but compassion rescues us from that and helps us live as conduits of what God's doing. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it's on the front of your bulletin, says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself and not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul starts off talking to this church. If you get anything out of being connected to Christ, then let it be demonstrated in tenderness and compassion, being light-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, in humility valuing others above yourselves, not seeking your own interest, but other people's. And why does Paul say that we do this? He comes back to Jesus because Jesus did it first. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature as God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One reason we want to major on compassion here is we want to be formed as a community that's compassionate. We want that to be our default response. Our normal default response as human beings is to just look out for our own selfish needs. Everybody can do that. <laughs> that doesn't take anything. Everybody can love people who are like them. But compassion is, is, is a Jesus thing. 
And Paul says, we do this because Jesus did it first, and he's our example. And we want to be formed in his image. We want to look like Jesus. We want people to look at us and go, that group of people reminds me of Christ. Now, we have several opportunities for compassion in the upcoming weeks. We already had some things scheduled on the calendar. Uh, we've got a big food drive coming up in October. We've got bag hunger. We've got mercy response. And that's just the things we're doing here. But I just encourage you in the days ahead, if you feel like you're in a place where you're stuck in your faith and you just feel kind of plateaued, I encourage you, try to implement some of the disciplines of compassion. Try to join some of these things we're doing because there's nothing that can break you out of that um, kind of plateaued thing, that, that lifeless faith than compassion. Some of my greatest moments in this church have been like when we were doing flood relief last year where we're just pulling up our sleeves and we're out there sweating and, and serving people and, and just the way we get to know each other and get to minister to people, it, it, it impacts you in a, in, a, in a tremendous way. So I just want to, there, there's several practical ways you can get involved with that in the, in the coming weeks, probably the coming months uh, as we seek to help the folks out in Texas and, and even people in our community. So find some way that you can plug in and make this a priority in your life if it, if it isn't already. Why don't you all stand?